Alka Kumar of YourWealthMD.com came to the United States from India with $40 in her pocket. Fast forward to today, and she has been making a comfortable living working as a physician for the last 30 plus years. A few years ago, she realized that she was overworked and heading towards burnout. This forced her to look for passive and semi-passive sources of income, which led her to real estate. She's now switched to working part-time as a physician and spends her free time focusing on expanding her real estate portfolio. That currently includes a local rental portfolio, a small mobile home park, and numerous passive real estate investment syndications. In this episode, we talked to Alka about how concerns over burnout led her to pursue additional streams of passive income, how she scaled after buying that first single-family rental, how she purchased a small mobile home park using her self-directed retirement account, and why she's focused on investing passively in real estate syndications. I'm Brittany. And I'm Neil. And this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Alka Kumar, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Hey, thank you both of you for having me. I'm very honored and thrilled to be here. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. So before we dig a little deeper, can you tell us why a high-income earner such as yourself, a doctor, a lawyer, a corporate executive, would want to pursue real estate investing? In my case, you know, I work umpteen hours, six days a week, seven days a week, so it was taking a toll on me. I didn't have any personal time or quality of life. So I was heading towards burnout. And then I said, okay, there has to be some way to line up you know, more passive income. Uh, it doesn't all have to be active income because you're working all the time and you're trading your time for money. So that's why I decided to cut back. I went part-time. So I worked like 50% of the time now. And then I started looking into investing to generate additional passive income. So that's when I found real estate and then that got me started. And what time period are we talking? When did you sort of discover real estate? This was about five years ago. Like I said, I was heading towards burnout working for so many, you know, 25 plus years. Um, and the kids were, you know, done. They're done with college. You know, they're kind of on their own. So then I said, okay, I need to focus, you know, on me. I need some me time, you know, to do things that I want to do. Because you know, it's good to have that income coming in. But then if you can't enjoy it or, you know, spend time on doing things that you want to do, then, you know, to me, I said, okay, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I got into passive income, lining up multiple streams of income. Where did you learn about real estate investing? How were you introduced to that? Um, I've always been interested in real estate. And then I said, okay, I'm going to start researching this. So I was on bigger pockets, listening to podcasts like, you know, your podcast and multiple other podcasts, reading books, reading blogs, you know, just educating myself. 
for many months uh, before, you know, I decided to move forward. So can you tell us a little bit about the first investment property that you purchased once you decided that you were going to get into this? Yeah, the first investment property, it was actually an acquaintance of mine. And she said, well, this is the buyer's financing is going to fall through. Why, you, you know, are you interested? Because she knew I was kind of looking for some investment properties near my area in Tampa, Florida. And I said, okay. So I looked at the property. It was kind of dated, but it was still pretty decent. It was a um, two-bedroom single-family home in a pretty good school district. So then I said, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I was nervous. You know, I didn't want to take the plunge and, you know, plunk down a big chunk of change. But then I said, okay, what's the worst that can happen? You know, it's not going to go down to zero. If I don't like it, maybe I can sell it or, you know, maybe I'll have some loss, but it's still worth taking the risk. So I bought that property for cash and then uh, didn't fix it up. I didn't want anything to do with the property. I was really nervous. So I gave it to a property management company. So they took a couple of months to rent it out. But once that mailbox money started coming in, then then the light bulb went on. I said, okay, this this can work. So then I got more serious and bought some more uh, rentals. And do you recall what that purchase price of that first single family home was? Yeah, it was $62,000. But this was also about five years ago. So the market was down at that time, not as hot as it is now. But that property has, I think, doubled in value now. So yeah, it wasn't a high price point. It was renting for about eight fifty at that point. So I think you know that was pretty decent return. And did it require any renovations, or was it uh, turnkey? Um, it was dated, but pretty turnkey. You know, it had the old carpet, but it didn't need any major repair. So that was also another good thing because for my first property, I didn't want to. I didn't want it to be a big rehab or, you know, big tear down and rebuild. So this worked out well, you know, that was just pretty much turnkey. Okay. Yeah, I had some savings and I said, okay, you know, let me just pay cash for it and then we'll go from there. Did you ever do like a refi or anything to pull your money back out? Actually, I have not because that particular property happens to be in a flood zone. And uh, if I were to get financing, the flood insurance is pretty steep. Okay. Um, so then it didn't make sense. And then with my additional portfolio, you know, pretty much I have everything else is financed. So I, I, I like the idea of having one, you know, paid off property free and clear, especially a single family home. So, you know, I can sell it in a hurry if I want to. So that's kind of my safety cushion. That makes sense. Gotcha. Do you recall, because uh, this is a, this is an issue that a lot of investors, especially in coastal communities may start to face, what uh, have you ever looked into exactly what the cost of the flood insurance would be? Yeah, I think it was going to be about $2,000 a year. So not super expensive, but then I said, you know, let me just put that money towards something else. Yeah. Yeah. It also varies from area to area. And this is actually quite a bit away from the water, but because of the area it's in, you know, it's classified as flood zone. As you've grown your portfolio, you, we were talking a little bit before we started that you you sort of went from that first single family home and then where did you go from there the next couple of properties? After that, I bought a, a duplex and this was actually listed you know on MLS. I found a agent uh, referred to me by somebody I knew. Uh, he was a commercial broker, so he helped me you know with some number crunching 
Uh, and the duplex was a pretty decent deal. And the owner actually said, oh, I have another duplex right around the corner. Do you want to buy that too? <laughs> so I said, oh, well, let's take a look. So I looked at that and then it made sense. And my broker introduced me to a local portfolio lender. Um, so I put 20% down and they were able to finance you know, the rest of it. So I bought both of them at the same time. So you bought two duplexes and then where'd you go from there? After that, I bought a condo. That was mainly for my son's use. Uh, it was near university in Tampa. He was going there. So I said, well, instead of him paying rent, let me just get a two-bedroom, two-bath condo. And then he had a roommate. So the roommate was kind of covering his rent. <laughs> and I bought another duplex. Then I bought a fourplex, no, a threeplex, and then a fourplex. So you, you very quickly transitioned out of single-family homes for the most part. Can you talk to us about why? Because the single-family homes, uh, I think my ROI was not as good as multifamily. And also, if it's vacant, then it's 100% vacant. Uh, with duplex, if one side is vacant, it's unlikely that the other side will be vacant at the same time. So I felt at least, you know, it'll be, you know, I'll have some income coming in. And same logic, you know, going with three-plex and then a four-plex, scaling up economies of scale. Gotcha. And you you did something that I've heard Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets uh, call the stack, sort of. You know, you you know, you you buy a single family home and the next one you buy is a duplex and maybe the next one you buy is a fourplex or a, an eightplex, whatever. And you start to, you don't stick with buying single family homes, you know, and that's, it's very interesting when people get started in real estate investing, they often sort of talk about, well, I want a hundred doors. And most people only really only think about single family homes, but really what you should be doing is learning, you know, with each deal you're learning and you, you want to try and stretch yourself and go for a little bit bigger deal each time and start to scale that way. So you're not stuck in, you know, I mean, cause it's still a lot of work to, to buy a single family home. And a lot of times it's, it's about as much work as it is to buy a duplex, triplex or fourplex. Would you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. And I like the small multifamilies because, you know, I'm very risk averse by nature. So it wasn't like I was going to jump to a 50 unit apartment after my first single family. So this has been a nice gradual transition, you know, uh, up to four units. And then um, I have a mobile home park, which is small. And now I'm looking into mid-size mobile home park or mid-size apartment building. So that's my comfort level. So I, I totally agree. I think that gradual progression is useful. Gotcha. So you've gone from single family home to some small multifamilies to now you you've, you said you've purchased a, a, a mo- small mobile home park? Yeah, that is correct. Um, uh, and that's also my first out of area investment. <laughs> uh, where is it located? This is located in South Carolina. As you've grown your portfolio, you've also shifted into more passive investments. Can you talk about talk to us a little bit about what that looks like? Actually, I'm still self-managing my portfolio, my local portfolio. Lately, I'm using, I've started using a leasing agent just to find the renter and then I take over and then I manage. And my goal is, my goal was really to learn the business uh, in, you know, when I started self-managing. 
But my eventual plan is to give it all to a property manager. But then now I know what's involved, how to, you know, bet a property manager properly. And gradually, you know, transitioning towards more passive income. So I can work from anywhere in the world. I can, you know, travel. So that's what I'm building towards. Are you only buying those active assets? Or are you also investing in some real estate passively in any syndications, things like that? Yeah, I'm also invested passively in about eight different syndications. Um, and this is mainly through my retirement uh, account. I have a self-directed IRA and a solo uh, 401k self-directed. So I've invested with multifamily, done some private lending, invested in mortgage note funds, um, so a new construction. So just across this, you know, different things across the real estate spectrum, because I like to diversify. And also each asset class is different. So, um, but self-storage is my next one, which you know, I will learn from you. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, well, and you bring up a great point. And this is something we, I try to encourage any other investor, any real estate investor that I talk to, if they have some active way of earning uh, income from their real estate endeavors is to start looking for ways to diversify and invest that reinvest that capital that you're earning into, you know, assets that you were, that don't require your time. You know, I tell people, you know, you, if you're a, if you're a house flipper making six figures, find a way to carve off some of that money into self-storage or mobile home parks or multifamily or note investing or whatever. And it's amazing to me, the number of them that, that are afraid to get out of that comfort zone once that, once they get into their little niche and they don't want to, well, they don't want to branch out of it. So I applaud you for, uh, for taking that leap. Yeah. I, I love pass, investing passively in syndications and other people deal because the returns are pretty good and your time involvement is very little. Yes, there is work up front to vet the sponsor and do your proper due, due diligence. But I love that monthly or quarterly consistent cash flow coming in. So that's uh, really useful to me. I'm also invested in the stock market, but you know that's not consistent return. You know you can count on that money every month coming in, depending on where the market is at and your investments. So I like the the slow and consistent you know or consistent return from real estate from my passive syndications. And so far, they've all worked out great. Awesome. So you are a single mom to, is it two kids? Yes, two kids. And you said both of them are out of the house at this point? Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're done with college and yeah. Yeah. Since you've been, you know, doing all this and kind of learning through your investing, have you been teaching your kids about money and investing? Is Are you kind of trying to impart that knowledge onto them? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, every time I talk to them, Real estate has to come up. Sometimes <laughs> my kids will roll their eyes or here comes mom again talking about real estate. <laughs> but I think they're soaking it in. I think it's going into their subconscious at some level. So they know, you know, they're pretty financially savvy. So they know how to, you know, how to um, not live within your means and how to invest wisely. And they, they like that idea of consistent monthly passive income. And one of my goals is, you know, um, after I pass on, I want my kids to have that consistent passive income coming in from real estate. So that way they can, you know, do it. Um, they can work at a lower paying job if that's what makes them happy. 
what if they want to work part time or if they want to travel, then you know they'll be able to do that. So I want them to have that um, opportunity. Is there anything in particular that you would recommend people do to help educate their kids? I think just talking. I think our education system is really lacking in terms of imparting enough financial education to our kids. Um, so the onus is on really parents to impart the knowledge and to talk about it from an early stage and you know inform them what you're doing and be open about your own finances. I'm very open with my kids about my finances so they know where everything is, where everything goes, you know, expenses, income. So I think that helps a lot. Well, I, I mean, I look back on my public school education and I think the most financial education we got was maybe balancing a checkbook really. And that's just addition and subtraction, you know, and you never really, I never learned anything about credit. I never learned anything about investing. You know, you basically just learned how to, you know, how to be a W2 employee and, and keep your checkbook balanced. But the problem is most people don't even know how to, you know, how to keep a proper budget. Yeah, I totally agree. I grew up in India and in India, I grew up in a time where we didn't have credit cards. So it was, you know, if you didn't have cash for something, you know, if you don't have cash to pay, you didn't buy it. It was as simple as that. So there was no, you know, debt or credit card. And for my son and for my daughter, both of them, what I did was, you know, when they had some part-time jobs, you know, in their teenage years, I actually took a small loan from the bank for both of them, even though we didn't, they didn't need the loan. And then they paid it off every year. So interest was very small. So it was you know, $20 a year overall. And that really helped build their credit. So yeah, both of them have high 700 credit scores. Um, and they know the importance of, you know, in your debt under control and living within your means. Well, it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting idea. I think it's a great idea because one of the major contributing factors to your credit score is your, the age of your credit score. <laughs> And so the sooner you can, you know, open your first uh, credit account without abusing it, obviously, uh, speaking to my, my 18 year old self here, the better off you'll be. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And even before the credit card, I took a, like I said, small loan from the bank. And actually the bank manager told me this. She said, well, why don't you take a, you know, four $500 loan for your kids and just it off so that helps to build their credit and then they can get a credit card easier with a higher limit so that's what i ended up doing and i think that really worked well so if you were forced to start over tomorrow knowing absolutely nothing about real estate investing what would alka kumar's real estate mba look like how would you go about re-educating yourself i think the first thing i would really do is hit the books listen to podcasts and educate myself so maybe, you know, for a couple of months, if I didn't have any money, I would really network with other people, other investors, because there are quite a few investors who are looking to park their money, you know, for better return with real estate. So team up with people who have money and, you know, you can do um, with very little money down, you can start doing deals. So and then get in the game um, at some point, you know, you have to take action. And you won't know everything. You won't know, you know, 20 steps ahead of you and things won't be perfect. But I think the key is to really get in the game and just take action. Any particular books that you, that were especially influential for you? 
read so many books, it's uh, hard to like come up with, with one. <laughs> but I think the millionaire real estate investor, you know, that was a, a good one that I remembered. And ABCs of real estate investing. And you, you also break up, you bring up a good point which, and something we harp on a lot. So if you listen to the podcast a lot, you're about to hear another lecture from Neil that you've probably heard multiple times, which is find a way to get started. There's only so much you're going to learn from listening to podcasts and reading books. The sooner that you can just get in a deal, and, and I don't mean it, just any deal. I mean, get into a deal that's, it's not going to make you rich, but a deal that's not going to bankrupt you if it goes bad, because you will learn so much more than you will from listening to a podcast or reading a book. And you'll, you'll exercise that muscle and it won't be, the next deal will be less fear inducing and more, more excitement inducing. Totally agree. And I think, um, you know, the fear will always be there. It's not, you know, it's just going to disappear after your first deal. You will always have that fear, but the trick is to overcome that fear. And what I like to do is I like to see what's my downside. And I actually write everything down. You know, this, these are the negatives or drawbacks. These, this, these are the things that can happen. And I also write down, if this were to happen, what would I do to mitigate that? So that helps a lot seeing it on paper, you know, and if you can handle that worst case scenario, I think, you know, then there shouldn't be any problem. Um, all right. Well, can you tell us what a day in the life of um, real estate investing looks like for you? How much time you usually spend? For me, uh, since I'm self-managing, I do uh, do my own bookkeeping <laughs> and, you know, I'll deal with the tenant issues, but I have a system. I have people who do the work. So, you know, if that, let's say if there's a problem, the tenants will just text me and I'll text my handyman or, you know, call the AC company, whatever needs to happen. So then they would just go fix the issue. I just make an electronic payment. So it doesn't really take that long once you have systems in place. Uh, like I said, I'm using a leasing agent for at least leasing the units. So that helps. And then I also like to, you know, listen to, podcasts and then reach out to different syndicators, you know, talk to them, talk to different investors. So that's, you know, my other part, because I'm always looking to invest more passively as well. So that's, it's kind of a mishmash <laughs> of different things in real estate. Do you have a, like a, an idea of how many hours a week you're spending on your real estate endeavors? Probably about 10 hours on my, when I'm working, I work every other week. So one week on, one week off. So on my week on, I'm pretty much, you know, working in my, in my radiology field. Uh, and on my week off, pretty much most of the week is real estate related. So you know, wearing a real estate hat. So I would say probably like 30 hours on the weeks that I'm off. And most of it is actually educational or, you know, talking to wholesalers, talking to other investors, you know, looking at deals, which is more enjoyable, you know, than property management. One of the, the great things that you do, I think, which is really smart, is that you ha you've hired out a leasing agent to handle the um, uh, placing of tenants in your properties. Because that is often, you know, one, you want somebody who's kind of experienced with screening tenants. And two, you know, it can be a lot of work to place a tenant because you have to, you know, you got to show it. You got to do a background check, you, you know, review applications and things like that. Um, but once you 
you know, a lot of times once you have somebody in place, it can be, you know, fairly passive. Um, are there any other tasks from your real estate business that you um, would like to farm out to somebody that would make your life better? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I'm in the process of evaluating some property managers and just giving at least portion of my real estate portfolio to a property manager because that's a little bit farther out for me. It's like an hour, hour and a half drive. Those, you know, there's a cluster of properties and the county that's closer to me, you know, that's much easier and their tenants somehow stay much longer. <laughs> some, some people have been there for four or five years. So they're very like low maintenance properties. Those I think I will continue. And then I'm also looking to hire out the bookkeeping part of it. I've been, you know, doing my own QuickBooks. Um, and in terms of like screening and, you know, showing the property, yes, it can be work, but I think with online, you know, pretty much online, leases are online, you know, screening is also online. So they just have to send an email and then the uh, applicants can apply. So it's not that difficult, but yes, it is time consuming. So that part I'm going to, you know, give to a property manager. So that's my goal. Do you have an idea of how many units you have right now? Yeah, I have 16 uh, units with my multifamily, small multifamily portfolio. And the mobile home park is nine space. So it's really small, but I wanted to dip my toes in the water and just to see how it pans out. And it's in my self-directed IRA. Uh, It's a Roth self-directed IRA. So all the income is, you know, accumulating in my Roth IRA and I can take it out tax-free, you know, when I retire. And that's being managed by a um, property manager. Gotcha. And you said that one's in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, And so it's 16 units in addition to that, or it's 16 plus that? Yeah, 16 and then plus the nine space. Okay. And then uh, how long have you owned the mobile home park? That I've owned for about six months. Okay. So for maybe somebody who doesn't, you know, somebody who's maybe dipped their toes into small multifamily, but they've never uh, bought a mobile home park. uh, What are some of the, the major differences in uh, purchasing and operating a mobile home park? I think mobile home park is more of a, a running business if you have um, homes that are owned by the park. If they're all tenant-owned homes, then you are just maintaining a parking lot with utilities, essentially. So it's uh, easier that way. You know, you're not repairing the homes or fixing the homes if tenants own their own homes. So in that way, it's going to be more passive. Uh, but typically, most mobile homes do have some uh, homes that would be park-owned homes. So then you have to either you know sell it to the tenants or maintain them. So in my case, uh, two homes were park-owned homes and five were you know tenant-owned homes. So you know we ended up selling those park-owned homes also. So pretty much everything is lot rent only. So it's easy. You know, it's a, it's a simple simple process. So your park doesn't have any park-owned homes? Correct. At this point, um, we don't have any park-owned gotcha. homes. That's what, the little that I do know about, about mobile home park investing is that's much more desirable, <laughs> desirable is to not have any park-owned units. Yeah, that, that's, uh, most people look for tenant-owned homes uh, only, but most parks do will have some component of park-owned homes, but then you can fix them or you know sell them to tenants as handyman special some people even give mobile homes for free if they're older and they need a lot of work. 
So you can advertise as handyman special and just take $500 as token money. And then they can start paying the lot rent. And if they're handy, they can fix it. And some investors actually will take that on and then they will fix it and they will rent it. You know, they'll pay you the $300 lot rent and they'll rent it for like 700. And you're, you're investing in that through your self-directed Roth IRA. And the reason that you have to have a, a property manager is because that needs to be a completely hands-off investment, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Although the Roth IRA self-directed does allow supervision of the park, uh, as long as I'm not physically doing any work in the park, um, I can, you know, collect rents, I can go visit the property, you know, I can talk to contractors, I can call for repairs as needed. So all those activities are okay. The only thing you can do is actually go in and physically fix the house. You know, you can't paint, you can't change the light bulb. And I'm not good at those things anyway. So <laughs> that's not my forte. Uh, but even then, I think it's just useful to be completely hands off. So the property manager is taking care of, you know, everything. But your ultimate goal is to be able to to have some more um, location independence, do more travel. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to be able to travel. So that's why I'm growing my active portfolio and, you know, give it to a good manager. And then also my passive investments and syndications. So have, you know, kind of both Mm -hmm. um, and be able to travel and then just manage everything remotely. Okay. So our last question, uh, and this is one we've started asking all of our, our guests, which is if you had $50,000 that needed to be invested in the next 90 days, where would you place it? And what type of return would you be expecting? I would probably buy a, a duplex or a triplex, depending on the area. You know, uh, you can use that as a down payment and, you know, buy that if um, what I find is sometimes, you know, the, the core metro area gets expensive and most people, you know, can't afford to buy and the numbers don't work. So something around the outskirts, like my properties are pretty much on outskirts of Tampa. So something within two hours, I think most people can find something that would be reasonable or go to like a smaller um, secondary market and, you know, find a good property manager, do your due diligence up front. And I would put that in a small multifamily what kind of return would you be expecting on your $50,000? Um, I shoot for at least 10% return. And in multi, in my small multifamily, I pretty much pulled all of my cash out from those deals. So I don't have any of my own money in those deals anymore. So that's, uh, I've done the, the BRR, BRRR strategy that Bigger Pocket talk, talks about. Um, so that's been pretty good. Gotcha. And so once you do that, once you've pulled out most of your capital, you basically have an infant return. Correct. Gotcha. Well, Alka Kumar, thank you so much for sharing with our audience today. Uh, you've got your website, yourwealthmd.com. If any of our guests want to find you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, they can uh, go to my website. You know, there is a uh, contact me page there. They can fill out their information. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to give out my cell phone number. It's um, 727-314-2025. I'm happy to talk to any investor and doesn't matter what stage they're at. I love talking real estate. So my time off, you know, this is my goal to help other professionals, especially single women who are, you know, in high income and they're looking for multiple streams of income or passive income and they don't want to depend just on their one active W-2 income. 
So I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. Okay. Awesome. Well, it was great talking to you today. It was great meeting you. Thank you, both of you. It was a pleasure. And thanks for all the great work that you do in educating and putting up, putting out so much uh, great content. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was Alka Kumar from yourwealthmd.com. Highly recommend you go and check her out. You can also give her a call at 727-314-2025 if you have any questions. Um, I encourage you to reach out to her. Um, so did you have a key lesson learned from this interview? I have a couple that I could go with, so why don't you go first so I don't steal yours. Oh, I see how you're going to be. The idea of scaling, don't get, you know, don't get comfortable buying 10 single family homes. Uh, our good friend, Alex Felice, um, who was one of our first interviews, he was on, he's on episode 50 and I think he's also on episode three, episode two. Alex bought like seven single family homes using the same $70,000. So uh, using the Burr method, which is great. But even he, if you talk to him today, he admits that he kind of stayed in the shallow end of the pool a little too long. Mm -hmm. And he probably would have been better off, you know, going for a duplex or, you know, and then a fourplex and then, you know, and scale. And he's now bought a 24 unit apartment building. I think he just bought a 52 unit and he's looking for something bigger. And so just keep an eye out towards, sure, buy that single family home, single family rental, whatever it takes to get you started. But uh, very quickly start looking for ways to go for bigger deals. Mm-hmm. Buy a small multifamily in a uh, in a beach community and turn it into a short-term rental. I don't know who would do something like that. Don't do it. We're trying. Yeah, more more to come on that later. Um, <laughs> don't take our <laughs> Sorry, tangent. All right. So anyway, what about you? I think one of the things that she talked about with um, why she moved into more small multifamily, bigger portfolios quickly was because the ROI was better than on a single family home. But also, you know, she talked about vacancy. If you have a vacancy in a single family home, you have 100% vacancy. In uh, a multifamily situation, if you have one vacancy, you're not at 100%. um, And you can kind of, it's a little bit easier to float your costs and it, it, you, you don't lose as much. So I think that's something to consider as a pro when moving into the small multifamily or multifamily space. And then I just wanted to... Do a shout out to, for if you've got kids, taking out a loan for them to then just repay with minimal interest as a way to build their credit. I think that's a great idea. And, you know, needing a credit score um, kind of sucks sometimes. There's some, you know, cons to it, but it's part of our financial system now. So you can play the game in that way and, and help your kids kind of get ahead. Money. She started with 62000 in cash is what she did for that first property. And then after that, I don't know if we got an exact amount. She did 20% down on that double duplex deal and then did a burr. So, or no, not a burr. Sorry. I can't remember what kind of lending she did. It's more conventional. She just she did some uh, portfolio lending. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And typically, you know, 20 to 25% down on those. Yeah. So. But, you know, you can get in for less than $62,000, which she did. But like she said, you know, she had her reasons for 
keeping it all in cash. Don't begrudge her that at all. I think it was probably a good idea. Knowledge. Knowledge. Why do we have to go in the same order every time? Because... Because I'm OCD. Okay, well, but knowledge <laughs> is before money on the list. Fair <laughs> like enough. You already screwed it up. No, I'm just kidding. Right. It's fine. Knowledge. Um. <laughs> she she got educated, uh, you know, with podcasts and books, and we, we talked about uh, what her real estate MBA would look like, and and it was pretty much the same podcasts and books, and and she said she would also you know seek out other investors, network. Yeah, she um, she kind of she didn't say this in as many words, but find people that um, have what you don't. So she talked about you know if you don't have money, find people that have money. Yeah. But we've talked about you know if you have time but not money, find someone you yeah. know vice versa. And if you have money but not time, then that's or if you have up. or or if you have if money and time but no experience, find somebody with experience. Yeah, exactly. So. Time. Time. So she said she spends about 30 hours a week when she's not doing her medical job. She's a doctor. So she's working probably what amounts to a full-time, full-time-ish job. I mean, she has two part-time jobs and they, they, uh, so. I think that's fair. I mean, she's, she said probably 10 hours a week when she's doing her day job. And then when she's not, she said it was, you know, 20 to 30. Could she do this strategy from anywhere in the world? With the correct systems? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I would say I, I, I'm going to kind of go halfway between. I think, I mean, a lot of her portfolio is more active right now and yeah. more local to her. Uh, she Obviously, she's bought the mobile home park in South Carolina, which is a little ways away from her, and she's got uh, a manager in place. That's what I mean by if she sets up the systems. Yeah. So she puts people in place yeah. to take care of those, become more passive. Yeah. And obviously um, the syndications can, are, yeah, the syndications are a lot more passive so, and you can do them from anywhere. She's so. getting to the point where she can really have that location independence. Yes. Should she choose it? And yes. for her, it doesn't sound like she wants to move somewhere else. So she can she definitely do some traveling and vacation. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, once again, that was Alka Kumar from yourwealthmd.com. Uh, be sure to check her out. I'm Neil Henderson. We're doing this all again next week. I'm Brittany Henderson. Let's yeah. hit the road. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you Brittany Henderson? I am, but that's not how we usually end the show, oh, so I was okay. very confused. <laughs> Sorry, we're a little punchy. All right, let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom. <laughs>